0: You are listening to the Women in Leadership podcast with Debbie Collard, Susan Ireland, professional executive coaches and co-founders of the season's leadership program, and Marianne Metz, digital marketing manager at Ascension. This podcast focuses on helping women around the globe explore their passion for leadership. Join Debbie, Susan, and Marianne on Women Wednesdays as they talk to world-class leaders this season to dive deeper into their journeys of leadership development and find out what it takes to acquire your own professional leadership style. If you are interested in additional resources outside of the podcast, please visit seasonsleadership.com where you can enroll in executive coaching or transformation workshops. This podcast series is sponsored by Ascension Transformation Solutions. This is your new personal leadership mentor. This is the Women in Leadership podcast. Hi, and welcome to Women in
1: Leadership podcast brought to you by Seasons Leadership, where we focus on helping leaders grow and succeed while building a powerful, supportive community. My name is Susan Ireland, and I'll be your host for today's session. It is my pleasure to introduce my co-host and co-founder of Seasons Leadership, Debbie Collard. If you are new to this podcast, please check out earlier episodes where you can find out more information for your own leadership development. You can personally reach out to us by rating and reviewing the podcast on Apple Podcasts. We love to receive your comments and feedback. If there is a special episode that is your favorite, take a screenshot of the episode and tag at Women in Leadership on your Instagram or LinkedIn stories, and we will be happy to reach out and connect with you. Today, we have two special guests and I'm really excited to introduce them because Debbie and I both had the pleasure of working with these two wonderful leaders. And um, so I'm just gonna start, we've got two bios. Melissa Fleener leads the Integrated Metals Capability and the Auburn site for Boeing Fabrication. She is responsible for the strategy and operations of fabrication manufacturing business units supporting airplane production. Melissa oversees emergent operations, which include ship teams at commercial airplanes final assembly sites in Renton and Everett, Washington and North Charleston, South Carolina, as well as integrated aero structures, advanced metal structures, skin and spar, tooling services, and manufacturing services in Auburn, Washington. She also serves as the executive leader for the Auburn site. Melissa joined Boeing in 1996 as an operations program analyst for the Boeing fabrication in Auburn, Washington. And I have to add, Melissa, that's where I started with Boeing as well. Melissa was born in Olympia, Washington, earned a Bachelor of Science degree with honors in economics and a master's of business administration with an emphasis in operations from Seattle University. Melissa resides in Redmond, Washington with her family. So welcome, Melissa. Okay, now we have Beth Schreier. Beth is Vice President and General Manager of Facilities and Asset Management for the Boeing Company. She is a member of the Enterprise Services Leadership Team. In this role, Beth is responsible for deploying strategies to provide safe, high-quality, effective facilities management and maintenance solutions and efficient and affordable 24-7 service delivery. This includes managing essential assets such as office and production buildings and infrastructure, production tooling and equipment for the defense business and Boeing South Carolina, fleet management and transportation services, and site-based facility service delivery. Beth joined Boeing in 1996 after completing her MBA at the University of Washington with an emphasis on strategy and organizational effectiveness. She is a graduate of Mills College in Oakland, California, with a major in economic analysis and a minor in art history. Her first career was in fundraising, where she worked for the YWCA in San Francisco. Outside work, Beth is president for the board of directors serving Soldier's Best Friend in Peoria, Arizona. She enjoys spending time with her husband and twin daughters. Welcome, Beth. Happy to be here. Oh, it's great. And it is so fun reading those bios because I've known you for so many years, and I am so proud and impressed with the success you've had and the contributions you have made. Thank you, Susan.
2: Welcome to both of you. I'm so excited also to get to have you on our program. It's been quite a few years since we got to see each other, and it's nice to see how well you're both looking, especially in these COVID times. You're both executives at the world's largest aerospace company, and you're thriving, obviously. And you both came from different places, as we just heard, to get here. So will you take a moment and tell us about who each of you are and what drove you to do what you're doing today? And either of you can start.
3: Melissa, do you want to go first?
4: Sure. I'm happy to start. Okay. All right. So again, thank you for that introduction. It's uh, sort of amazing. Uh, to be here with you today and listen to all of that. And uh, Beth, I learned something new uh, listening. I didn't know you studied economics as well, so that's very cool. Um, So a little bit about me. Um, I grew up in Spokane, Washington. So on the other side of, uh, of the state from where we are today, I attended the University of Puget Sound in Tacoma and studied economics. And when I was thinking about what I wanted to do after college, uh, I was looking at different businesses, and Boeing came to interview on campus. And I didn't know a lot about Boeing. You know, I'm not like some people who are at our company that have you know grown up in aerospace companies, and that was a a big part of their life. Um, my parents were educators and and teachers, and so this was just something new to me. But I I thought Boeing sounded uh, like you know, an interesting company to work for, and uh, that you know they'd they'd have a really far-reaching product. And so, I interviewed with them on campus. I got the opportunity uh, to start at at Boeing in Auburn, where I'm I'm back working today. And I just found that I was continually challenged by different opportunities at Boeing. Um, you know, so it's been 24 years, and I feel like sort of one after the other, there've been really interesting opportunities that have kept me challenged over time. Um, A lot of my uh, different assignments at Boeing were in the airplane programs. So after I worked in fabrication, I worked up on the 767 program. And then I moved to the 737 program and uh, then worked on the 787 program uh, while it was in its development phase. Um, I remember when I took that job, uh, one of my bosses said to me, you know, are you sh- are you sure you want to do that? Uh, do you know what's involved in the development program? I found that to be one of my you know biggest times of of learning and growing, and it was really difficult. Uh, but I I kind of got a lot of energy from understanding that I could could thrive in a difficult job like that. Um, so so for me, it's just been uh, you know continuing to take opportunities as they came my way. And that has kept me at Boeing, kept me engaged. Personally, uh, you know, I'm married to Clay, who also works at Boeing. He and I met in college. Um, I have two kids. Um, I just took them to their first day of school today. And uh, so now both together at the high school, my daughter Maddie is a senior and my son Colin is a freshman Uh, So really excited for their year ahead. You know, we love uh, spending time at Lake Chelan. I love uh, dancing. I've grown up being a dancer my whole life. And my daughter, Maddie, is also a dancer. And my son, Colin, is into basketball and golf. And we just uh, mainly like to spend our time uh, doing family activities. So that's just a little bit about me and uh, a little bit about my journey at Boeing.
2: That's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. Beth, what about you?
3: Yeah, so I'll jump in and just say, you know, I think we actually have somewhat similar, Melissa and I, similar journeys, similar but different. Uh, It is interesting. We're both business graduates working in an engineering and manufacturing company. And I think that plays a lot into how we found our way through our careers. It's really an honor for me to have the position that I have today leading all of facilities for the company. And I value uh, the experiences that I've had over the years, similarly to Melissa in what we call airplane programs, but it's the planes that, that we all fly on commercially when we travel here and there for business and for personal vacations. And working on a product like that is is really like none other. I too though came to Boeing without um, a family history of working at the company and came in looking for, I had another short career. I have also actually been at the company since 1996. So another coincidence with Melissa there, but I had another short career first in fundraising as Susan said in the intro. And I actually thought when I went to graduate school that I would go back into the nonprofit sector. And what I found when I was in business school is that there was a whole other world of opportunities in business that I thought I would pursue more and just see what was, you know, there on that side of the fence, if you will. And, uh, had the opportunity to interview with Boeing through that uh, career process and came to Boeing, uh, not really knowing a lot about airplanes, but being intrigued with this large company based in Seattle where I grew up and, the products that it brought to market across uh, the not just the commercial airplane industry, but also the defense side. And so I've just been open to different opportunities. And you'll hear that theme for both, from both of us that at a company, large or small, just having that ability to be open to try new things and uh, be willing to learn. And so I've had a journey taking me from all within Boeing, but taking me from business roles, to uh, starting up new businesses, to now being the head of facilities, you think, how do you get there? Well, it's really about um, looking across the whole business and being open to have different experiences, learn different things, and try and, you know, really uh, lead and learn with that curiosity. And that definitely keeps keeps me going. I really like managing things with a big scope, and I do consider myself more of a generalist across many topics versus a specialist going deep in one. Although, boy, I've been in facilities now for a while, so pretty soon I'm going to have to claim some level of expertise here, which is pretty cool. Um, But I always like to cast that wide net, and I think that just drives me of, of why I like what I do and... Um, the career interest that I have is being in roles and assignments where I can really dabble in a lot of things and have an impact broadly across the board. And I recognize that people come from different places like that. Some people really want to be the expert and they thrive on that. And I really thrive on being more of a general manager. So finding that the current role suits me quite well in that where I get to work across finance and engineering and uh, real estate and factories and office space and all of that. And it brings a really diverse set of challenges and uh, topics that I get to tackle every day. So that's a little bit about me and what makes me tick, I guess.
2: You know, it's fascinating. As you said, Beth, you guys have a lot in common, but you both didn't know a lot about Boeing or about what they do there and came into it. And now, Anybody would say probably in the organization that you guys are experts and they look up to you for the expertise that you have there. And that's fantastic. So Susan and I at Seasons Leadership believe that there's a foundational leadership triad that includes vision or what you want to achieve, mission, why you do what you do, and values, how you go about doing what you do or what you align to mission or said differently, your purpose or your why is a key part of that foundation for us. What would you say is your why or your mission?
3: For me, it's somewhat simple. I just really like to drive good, solid practices into the work and organization and improve the outcomes. It's kind of simple to say. Obviously, it can be very hard to do that, especially in a complex business that we're in. But I really feel that way, whether I'm thinking about home or family or the nonprofit work that I do, it's really about how can we uh, be disciplined and drive organization to accelerate improvements of our outcomes. And that can be done, I found, in my career in any field that I've been in working in. You know, whether it's airplanes or facilities, there's still that need to kind of lead the organization and take it to a new place. And that's really both kind of a cultural perspective, and from a business results perspective. And that to me really frames up why I lead the way I do and how I think about how I think about work, what kind of motivates me to come in and fight another day to keep improving the business. So I I just think it's simple, it's complex to implement, but it definitely guides me. Well, it also seems that it's never
1: done right because there's always ways to improve there's always new outcomes yeah it's never done and i
3: it's it's like job security in a weird way right i mean it's you can a leader never stops uh an organization doesn't stop and so how do you improve things day in and day out uh to drive better better business results and always have the objectives of the organization front and center, because that's what it's about at the end of the day. Melissa, what about you?
4: Yeah, I think my, I I also think of mine as very simple and kind of, when I break it down to plain English, it's, I love to help people. So when I, there's kind of several levels to think about it. When I think about my job and, about our company. It's our products provide a great help in the world uh, by connecting people and you know allowing people um, you know safe transport. Um, and then I think about my own role in an organization. And I'm I, you know, really focus on leading everything I do and everything you know my team is doing about how can we be helpful to our organization you know, who, who are our customers, who are we serving and how can we do that in a way that is most helpful? You know, another thing that really is part of my why and inspires me is how can I help other people develop and be the best that they're going to be. Um, and, and so another thing I get a lot of energy from is, is taking time to, you know, to coach and mentor and, and, and I learn uh, you know, through those activities as well and, and can develop myself that way. So, it's also sort of similarly simple for me about, you know, how can I
1: how can I help people? Following up with that, what personal value or values are you aligning with as a leader in your company or your organization?
4: Yeah, the the things that keep in mind for me are, um, you know, I, I really try to bring a level of enthusiasm and positivity and energy. So those are big values, uh, for me. And I think, um, you know, people are really seeking that in a leader. And so, um, I try to bring that, uh, in everything I do, you know, I think also trying to combine that with accountability as well as inclusion and respect. And so, um, you know, I feel like that's a little bit of a unique package of values. Uh, but when I think about uh, what do I value and how do I try to show up with how I'm leading my team every day, those are some of the values that come to mind.
3: Yeah. And a big one for me is honesty. To me, it's really huge. It, it kind of frames up how I approach most things. And, you know, the reality of it, of it is it's not always popular, actually, which I know sounds kind of weird. But People don't always want somebody who's honest and we can see a lot of that in, in the workplace where people might want to hear what they want to hear versus what, you know, somebody else would see as an honest input. So to me, it's important, but it's not, it's not just honesty for honesty's sake, right? It doesn't mean just like toss a big hairy problem on the table and let it sit there or, you know, be critical of something. I just, I'm, I mean more like honesty of sharing perspectives, asking real questions, trying to clarify things, and being savvy about the situational awareness, office politics, whatever it is. Being sensitive to where other people are coming from, uh, so that you can be honest, but in a way that's appropriate for the situation. So, for example, sometimes candid conversations, you know, better done offline, that kind of thing. But honesty is a huge policy for me. And like I said, whether people like it or not, I'm generally going to try and bring as much honesty as I can. And to me, that also goes along with um, the golden rule and treating others as I want to be treated. And I would prefer people to be authentic and upfront with me. Uh, you know, than not. And so that's the other value I have is just that treating how I treat other people. And and I'm not perfect, but I do try and treat people, you know, as I would want to be treated and, or be honest, if I'm feeling frustrated and just say that so that I don't have people guessing and worrying that they're, you know, am I upset about something and just saying, Hey, I'm frustrated about this, but let's figure out how to do some problem solving and move on, and then just handle it that way. So I would name those two things as the big values that guide me uh, every day, and sometimes they're a little tricky to navigate. Um, you know honesty is a great policy, but it does depend who you're talking to when you're talking to them and what you're talking to them about, as to what can be put on the table at any situation or you know how you meet and navigate your way through that in different um, settings.
1: Wow, you, you both are striking me as you've got these very clear values and, you know, your whys and how you operate in, in such a complex organization. You know, it seems like the, the more complex the organization, the simpler and clearer the, the vision, the more successful you are. Because it's, it's not confusing to other people, I guess, or to yourself. It's like a North Star that you are able to
2: yeah. navigate. I would
1: say it's
3: not a given, though, right? I mean, we've seen people succeed when they say what others want them to say, or they, you know, and succeed is, a, you know, a definitional thing. But um, it's an interesting navigation, right, that we work through every day. Well, talking about that,
1: what successes have you seen so far or what are you most
3: proud of? And Beth, you go first this time. Okay. I have one that pops to mind and it's probably going to be one that's surprising because it may not be the traditional one that you think about of a business success, but it's certainly one that's getting more and more visibility. And that is that I've been able to really diversify the leadership team of my facilities organization that I'm uh, in service to right now. And it's something that didn't come without pain. We didn't really have any pitfalls, but it was more a lot of, you know, explanation to people who have been in facilities their entire career. What am I doing? And it's diversity, not just by the things we think about EEO, of, you know, gender and, and that, but it's also of experience and background. And I'm very proud that I've been able to take an organization that was very monochromatic and very male, to say it like it is, and it wasn't 100%, but it was very, and really transform it into an organization that has leaders that have grown up in facilities, leaders that have grown up in other parts of our business uh, at the company, and bringing their unique background in. Uh, more women in leadership, uh, striving for more people of color in the leadership uh, ranks, and really taking, and I can I can demonstrate it by metrics. I can demonstrate it by um, the way our leadership team operates and the different experience and background people bring to the table and how we solve problems together and how we interact. And it's a huge source of pride. I, I try and share it with, with folks. But I've had, it had—it's like a lot of explaining to do, and demonstrating to senior members of the organization, and um, you know, managers, first-line managers, non-managers, of why this can work and how it can work, and why would I do that? And I can understand the angst because I was disrupting—I was a disruptor—to a career path that people took kind of as a given. Grow up through the ranks of facilities, and you'd hit this level, and then you hit this level, and it was, if you did a good job, it was you know not guaranteed, but it was pretty reliable. To a disruptor, where suddenly the job somebody thought they might get because they grew up in facilities was offered to somebody from outside the organization. So there's been a lot of communicating about it, and 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 showing evidence and storytelling. And it's just been something I have never had the opportunity to do quite as fully and holistically as I've been able to do in this role. And while I've always championed women, uh, you know, in our workplace here at this company, this was the time that I could, you know, promote women into the executive ranks, um, and men too. By the way, this is certainly a not a, a one-sided story, and promote both from within facilities and from outside facilities and bring the uniqueness and the diversity of that group together to have an even more complete, I would say, and well-rounded leadership team. I just love the experience of being able to do that, even with the challenges that it brought. And it's, we all know it's what we need to do, but we don't always have the opportunity Uh, given either the size of the organization or where it is in its life cycle to do something like that. And I've been able to do that and deliver on it um, for our team, which is most important. And, you know, then for the rest of the company. That's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. I'll just
4: add a comment because I, uh, in my current job leading the Auburn site, I Partner with Beth's team a lot uh, on on things we do in our daily business, and so I I feel like I've been a large beneficiary of what Beth is describing and and the diversity she's bringing and developing in her team. Um, so I I see what Beth is talking about, and I'm benefiting from it, and I I thank you for that, Beth.
3: Oh well, you're welcome. Definitely a partnership with a business to get some of the talent that I've gotten and to deploy the team out to work with you all.
4: And maybe just, so maybe adding, you know, in terms of my uh, things that I'm uh, proud about um, the thing that comes to mind for me is uh, you know, a number of the mentoring relationships I've been able to build, you know, a number of, of women and uh, and, and working moms that I've been able to mentor and, you know, share my own experience and frankly learn from their experiences as well. And, you know, the joy I'm getting from seeing them be promoted, you know, into different positions around the company and their own development. And, uh, you know, really the benefit from a network of people I can talk to who are, you know, also working through how do you, how do you be a mom and have a career and do those things, uh, you know, do those things well. And, and for me, it's, you know, developing those relationships of people you can talk to, you know, and, and have kind of those real conversations about it's difficult and, uh, you know, tell the stories of things that are going well or not going well and, um, laugh about them or, you know, grieve about them or, uh, learn from them. <laughs> um, you know, one, one of my, uh, favorite working mom stories to tell is, um, you know, there was one year where I gave my daughter uh, tickets to the One Direction concert for Christmas, and so we—I think the concert was in May—and we'd been looking forward to it for months. I, at the time, was working in you know one of the airplane programs, and my team—you uh, know—we we experienced an issue with a customer where my team was responsible for making a change that the customer had asked for on the airplane. And we made a mistake in how we incorporated that change and the meeting to talk to the customer to kind of explain uh, the mistake and how we were going to correct it and how we were going to make sure it was never going to happen again, you know, ended up at five o'clock on the day of the concert. You know, for me, it was this, um, really important moment because I needed to demonstrate to my team, to the airplane customer, uh, that I needed to be accountable, you know, for this issue that happened. I didn't really feel like it was something I could delegate. It was really important that I had personal ownership of this issue. And yet it was also really important that I didn't miss this concert. And so um, I worked out a plan with my husband where we were able to get A ticket for him. You know, he took my daughter and her friend to the concert, and I was able to meet them there, and you know, still participate in about ninety percent of the concert, as well as you know, honor my commitment at work. And I feel like it was a big lesson to her, to my daughter, because she saw me, you know, making a sacrifice and also you know, honoring and upholding and being accountable at work, uh, but also. You know, following through on this fun commitment I had with her, and we had a great time. So, you know, it's it's sharing stories like that and having a network of of women that you can talk to when you have those big life events. That I think really is is what's important and enduring, and um, helping others learn how to navigate uh, those type of situations. You know, as well as they all have a, a million stories like that themselves that I learn from and 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 benefit from as well. So me, that's, that's a lot of what I'm proud about in my career.
3: Yeah, it actually made me misty a little bit, Melissa, because we all know we've been in those crazy spots and I'm, you just think, how am I going to solve this? And I just think of how, you know, the, the creativity and the innovation we all bring to like make it all work. And at the end of the day, people remember the good moments and the things that happen, not the scrambling behind the scenes and the extra $200 for the ticket or whatever you had to pay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good story. it definitely rings home. It is really a good story.
1: The other thing is that um, what brings up to me, because I agree, you know, being a, I was a single parent for a, a long time and that stress that you feel because you have the pull and uh, from, ev- from everywhere Um, But the sharing with each other, I think, helps it in that you're not alone. Right. You know, there's other people that have experienced this. And even though that doesn't solve the problem, it just is less lonely. Definitely.
2: The other thing that struck me with each of your examples was that you chose an example that you're most proud of that was in obvious alignment with your values. And that came across loud and clear in your illustration. But I have a follow-up question for you. So you each named a great success or a great moment that you're proud of. How did you celebrate that success? Well,
3: I know I try and tell anybody who will listen. Now, it's interesting. Everybody finds it, oh, that's great. But then there doesn't have a lot of uptake because I think people don't know how to make it necessarily relevant to their own Place in the workforce. But when I have the opportunity to share what I call the diversity journey, the facilities diversity journey, I take it whether it's I actually have a PowerPoint chart I can send people or I just verbalize it quickly. And I, it's a little bit of metrics and it's a little bit of story storytelling. Some people like the metrics and some like the storytelling. And doesn't have a real platform, so I try and gin, gin up platforms whenever I see the opportunity to grab one.
2: That's great, and so by sharing the story, you're celebrating the accomplishment.
3: Yeah, she, celebrating it and celebrating the people who have have brought come into the organization and or been promoted within that are demonstrating this capability and confidence that you know if we hadn't. If I hadn't led this diversity journey, we wouldn't have those people in the organization, and it would be a different makeup, and we'd be delivering different results. I don't know that they would be bad results, but they just wouldn't be the results we deliver as a diverse leadership team.
2: Wonderful, Melissa. What about you? How have you celebrated your success?
4: Well, specific uh, to the you know the mentoring network, uh, you know, one thing I had, have done. I think I did it three years in a row and I've missed it the last two years uh, because of the pandemic, but I've hosted a, a year end celebration with all the folks that I mentor and have them at my house. And, you know, we just have sort of a uh, a celebration and reflection time. Uh, I always make them play a silly game where uh, you get points based on different things that have happened in your life or different uh career things you've been working on that year things like um you know points if you graduated from a program or um you know got a different role or tried something out of your comfort zone um so that's been a really uh fun way to celebrate uh you know my mentoring network and it's been another cool thing out of that is then all these folks that I think are wonderful get to meet face to face and they make new connections. And I'm, you know, I'm seeing new uh, relationships and uh, things coming out of that. So that's been a fun way to celebrate.
3: That's great. I want to be one of your mentees so I can come to your party. <laughs>
0: Me
2: too. I was thinking the
3: same thing. I want to know what the,
2: the game is. You know, what, what do we get points for, Melissa?
1: <laughs> oh, it's a big surprise. Every year. <laughs> that's fun. Well, ladies, Were you prepared to step into your leadership roles and why or why not? So, Melissa, why don't you start first?
4: I love this question because it's actually Beth who gave me uh, the advice about this. I, I just clearly remember, and Beth, you might not even remember telling me this, but I think it was pondering, you know, one of my first executive opportunities. And, you know, you were probably coaching me at getting ready for an interview and, and I just remember some advice, Beth, that you said around. You know, you you probably won't ever feel ready. You know, and there's just no uh, no exchange for jumping in and trying it and learning it. And you know, you'll surprise yourself with um, you know what what you can pull from and what you can figure out and how you can grow into these roles. So uh, for me, there's there have probably been very few roles uh, that I've you know stepped into that I've felt perfectly prepared for. And I have definitely had the experience of uh, stepping into leading a lot of, uh, you know, areas of the business where I, it was new to me, you know, from a skill perspective or, you know, whatever the, the, the business was that I was leading. And um, so for me, it's been trying to figure out that recipe of how do you, how do you step into a new role where you're maybe not the expert and how do you quickly lead through that, come up to speed um, so that you can, you know, be an effective leader. And I would just definitely say, and I always think of that advice from Beth of, you know, you probably won't feel prepared, but don't let that hold you back. Go for it. You know, for me, it's kind of and about finding that recipe of what are the things I need to do to quickly come up to speed and, and then feel comfortable and and be the best leader it can be.
3: Yeah, that's a great story. I do remember that a bit. I, I have a couple pieces of advice and they're not original to me, I, you're, we're, we're paying it forward from something that somebody has told us. And, um, when I was pondering my first executive role, and this actually was a, a guy that was a colleague that I worked with. And I, I was talking to him about it. And he goes, I was worried. I have little kids at the time. And, and he said, well, you're capable. You'll figure it out. What do you, why would you stop yourself before you actually get the opportunity, take the opportunity and then go figure it out? And I think that is, you know, it shows in the research and stuff that that's a woman thing, that more men will say they're qualified and feel confident and go for the job. Was sometimes a lot less experience than the woman who's saying, I'm not sure I'm ready, da, da, da. And so I loved that advice that I got. And I, I like to pass it on to others to get in there and, you know, give it a whirl. And the other thing is like, what's the worst thing that could happen? We all bumped in the road. Yeah. So I I, I felt prepared for this job that I'm in now, but there's a whole lot of people didn't think I was prepared for it. Which was pretty interesting because it took me like 30 seconds. My first staff meeting with the new leadership team that I came in to lead. And I thought, oh my gosh. And I I just, it was luckily leadership experience that I said, I need to have an elevator speech to these folks of why I'm here. And I didn't have the foresight to think of that in advance. So I didn't have the benefit of time. I was on the spot and I had to do a quick elevator speech. And that's my new advice that I give people going into a new area or new level or new level and a new area is before you show up with the, with the luxury of some time, think about what your elevator speech is. So I had to turn it on the fly up in front of the room and say, here's why I'm here. And I, I thought I did a good job. I tied it together so I could see people kind of like, okay, they're connecting the dots as to why I was there. But just realizing that other people didn't think I should be there, you know, it was pretty eye-opening. And um, it turned out to be just fine. And, and it wasn't one of those situations you hear about where people are trying to undermine you and whatnot. But it was—it was definitely that situational awareness. And I was thinking on my feet. And now I just turn that to advice for others. And I think the diversity of experiences that I've had. In the different career moves and taking different opportunities, uh, just like Melissa prepares you to do all kinds of different things, and I think the trick then comes is then how do you sell yourself? Because if you're like me, you feel like an awesome generalist, so then you're trying to sell yourself for something specific, and you know, I think to me, it, I have the hard time telling my value proposition because I feel like it's been so general. But I also feel like it's been rich and very experiential. So in any case, long story short, I felt prepared. But I agree, we don't always feel prepared for all the uh, opportunities been given. And I just say, just grab them and run with them. But be really eyes wide open to try and understand fast where you need help or something isn't going right. And Debbie and I have a story about when things weren't really going right for me. And, you know, I didn't realize it at first. And Debbie was helping and another boss was helping how do we how do you you know quickly seek out some help or maybe you're not seeking and people just tell you and then you have to do something with it so you can be prepared from a way you go about work even if you don't know the actual subject matter very well if hopefully that makes some sense
2: That's a great example. Those are both great examples. And for our listeners on this podcast who are trying to learn about leadership and how to be good leaders, I love uh, both the examples you guys gave and Beth specifically about being a generalist when you're trying to sell yourself to a specific role, et cetera. And Melissa, to your point about, well, I'm not sure I feel ready for jumping into this, but what's the worst that can happen? did either of you or both of you maybe have a roadmap that you use to guide you for any or all of your journey? I
3: have had at time from time to time, kind of a view out a few years, like a, a five year kind of view that would say what kind of experiences would I like to have? I don't believe in you know, when people say, I want to be a senior manager, I want to be an executive, I just look back at them and I go, well, oh, that doesn't tell me anything. Like, what do you want to do? What attributes of the job are you looking for? So I did have that where I said I'd like to get a little experience in procurement or I'd like to get some experience in uh, um, custom manufacturing, for example. And so I did have that at one time. It's not something that I have now, but... I I probably should, so I'm not saying it's a good practice not to have it now. I just don't have a current one. But the other thing is when I got into this role and actually it expanded uh, about eight months after I got into it, when it went to the expanded role, I actually did a 30, 60, 90 day plan for the first time ever. I'd heard about them, you know, you hear about them in different business books and all that. But I never really had one, and I actually found it really helpful because it was something I could work, use with the team, so my direct reports, and here's what I'm going to go do. Here's what you can expect. I could use it with my boss and tell the boss, here's what I'm going to do. Here's what you can expect, and then I could get feedback from everybody. And then I also ran it by a couple of people who are outside of the mix, you know, like your personal advisor group, and just said, hey, here's my plan, and it it was nothing innovative. It was nothing unique and different, but it really was. I'm going to go meet with these people. I'm going to do this. I'm going to go visit these sites. I'm going to do this, that, and the other. And so I did have for the first time, a real actual roadmap for 90 days. I found it really useful and I'd never had one before. And I would definitely now I'll do that on the next job transition, whenever that would come.
2: Great. So it sounds like your roadmap came out of necessity.
3: Well, yeah, I thought. Well, I got this big new role, and I'm going to have my team is going to go from several hundred to several thousand. So, how am I going to like tackle this in a coordinated, methodical way? Because I've said earlier, I like to kind of discipline to process and organize things. And there's a lot more people counting on me now than before, so I don't want to just be willy nilly on this thing. And I had a lot of territory to cover since my span is. is across the United States. So I had trips to plan and all this. And I just thought, wow, this is why people do this. Because it takes uh, what we know we should do, but you then you can turn it into a, put your activities and your objectives and your timing all in one place and get that roadmap down. I hadn't been a big, I didn't think it was necessary before. I think it could have served me well in the past and a couple of examples I can think of. And I, I it really was helpful to me, even if it was just for my own sanity, figuring out when I was going to be where and what I needed to do and ensuring that I could get everything done in 90 days that I wanted to get done.
2: That's great. Melissa, what about you? Have you used a roadmap of some sort to guide you?
4: Yeah, I was thinking about this as you asked it, and I, I think it's probably been uh, possibly since the late 90s or early 2000s, uh, since I've had something written down on paper around a specific roadmap, guessing some of the listeners maybe weren't born then. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I, I would describe that, you know, I had that early on, I kind of got into a direction and some roles that I really loved and and kind of got caught up in being very busy and obsessing about those roles. And as I mentioned early on, sort of opportunities kept coming my way. Um, I, I do remember a time where I was talking with a leader and they said, your next role, you need to think about uh, being a manager. And I I thought, really me? And um, so I, I definitely, um, the power of planting a seed with somebody when you see that in them is really strong. And that you know, was, I just will always remember that moment when uh, that leader said that to me. And then I think also, um, you know, when I took my first management role, I think I might've been working for either Susan or Beth actually, uh, but there was another leader involved in, um, you know, that hiring process. And I was also feeling very, you know, maybe unprepared and a little bit reluctant then. I was, I was returning from um, maternity leave after my son was born. And I was just not sure if it was the right time or, you know, if I could step up to the challenge. And I had a leader who said, why don't you give it a try? And if it doesn't work out, you know, we'll make a different plan. And, you know, so sort of to the earlier comments around, like, what's the worst that could happen? We'll make it okay. Um, And I, you know, did take that role. I, not everything went perfectly, but I feel like I did a pretty good job and learned a ton and was able to help the team a lot. And so to me, those are, you know, leaders I had along the way that really helped. And I try to also demonstrate that kind of planting the seed and making it safe for people to take challenges as I now have the opportunity to, to do that for other people.
1: Yeah, you know, you guys are triggering for me that roadmaps are important. And I'm wondering if we all should have a road map. You know, because we get busy, and and not you know get diverted and but it's amazing when you do have those what you can actually accomplish.
3: Yeah, I think I need. I think I think we should all have one. And when we when we lo- love our jobs and we're super busy, we're not thinking about that thing. It's probably that's exactly the time we should probably be putting you know pen to paper and having the roadmap because suddenly you find yourself three years later you go oh I don't have a roadmap what am I going to do next you know so I'm going to have to get off this podcast later and go do a roadmap <laughs> mine's not refreshed
1: <laughs> you also Beth you also said something that I want to circle back with you um you said uh, you did, it was a quick comment about your personal advisory committee
3: mm-hmm.
1: what is that
3: well, it's not an official thing, and um, uh, some of you are on it, but um, you may not know it. So it's, you know you got to have those people you turn to, right? I think everybody has them. But there is a concept, I think, Susan, you remember, this whole thing about this personal board of directors kind of thing and having certain people you turn to for different things. And as your career goes on, you actually find that some of those people start retiring And you can doesn't mean you can't still reach out to them. Absolutely you can. But your network kind of ebbs and changes and flows as you go through your career. And so understanding who those go to people are and to some degree even maybe what you go to certain people for. So that network can be friends outside of work or associates and colleagues outside of work and be people across the company. Um, you know, Former colleagues like you and Debbie, who have now retired and are doing something else, but just having that those people you turn to because there's nothing that needs to be done in isolation. One should never really feel alone, uh, whether it's a decision, an issue, uh, a situation that needs a sounding board. So that's what I mean by that. And yeah, it can go all the way to a friend from eighth grade to, you know the man who gave me my first executive promotion, or, you know, it's, it's a wide range of expertise, people in different fields, you know, I have a good friend who's a veterinarian and um, here in Arizona. And sometimes I ask her like, how do you guys do this at work? You know, like it's just different things for different people. So I've always had that concept of that personal board of directors and maybe like Melissa, sometime I should throw everybody a party who's, you know, given me advice and counsel over the years, because I really owe so many people, you know so much that's contributed to my learning and growth and development over the years.
4: I might pull on the thread, Beth, about you know you talked about it ebbing and flowing. and i've I've really observed that over the last year or so as we've had a lot of changes in our industry and in our company and you know people changing and And so I've been trying to reflect on. You know, being intentional about the ebbing and flowing of the network, and as that changes, you know do I think need to think about new sources of uh, personal advisors or or people you can talk to and and get advice from? so I do think that is a a really worthwhile um,
3: activity and
4: you know network
3: to pull on mm-hmm. yeah, not to let the important ones go stale. I learned that the hard way one time. I went to talk to somebody about something career-wise, and he goes, why are you just coming to me now when you need a job? And I said, I, I don't need a job. It's not why I'm here. But clearly, his message to me was, you kind of let this relationship go stale, and now it feels like you're just coming to me when you need something. And I just, that was a great leadership lesson for me, like, you know, emblazoned into my brain that, you know, keep those important networks fresh.
2: One of the things that um, Susan and I have for Seasons also is a relationship matrix, we call it, but you could also call it a network matrix, and it's about being purposeful about keeping a handful, the number can be up to you, of relationships fresh all the time, so that when you do need to pull on them for some reason, it's like, hey, I just have a quick question I need. It's not like they haven't heard from you in two years, and you're coming out of the blue to ask this question. So... You guys have kind of touched on networking uh, quite a bit here, but do you want to say anything more about networking and what difference it's made for you in your career?
4: Yeah, I think, you know, I've, I think I've shared several examples where that's been a huge uh, help to me. And to me, I've tried to do, you know, what what works best and feels right to me is sort of the authentic relationships that come out of, um, you know, work I'm doing or people I'm getting to know through, you know, things I'm doing at work or beyond, you know, to me, those are the most beneficial, you know, I, I do have people that come to see me that are sort of a cold call and, you you know, relationships can develop from that as well. Uh, But to me, the, the ones that have been uh, the strongest are the ones where it's, You know, people who know me or I know them through the the things that we're doing and we see the strengths and uh, understand each other that way and and can help each other in in a really authentic way that way.
3: Yeah, I agree. I think the forced mentoring can be a little awkward. And if you can have it grow organically, that's really the way to go. I, I just want to throw
1: in one thing that Debbie and I are have learned through our coaching is that women oftentimes feel networking or the use of the word networking feels a little, what should I say it, slimy, <laughs> that it's not authentic, um, which I I've come to see as You know, not helpful that networking actually in a business context is very helpful. And just because uh, if you reach out to somebody, um, like maybe what you said, Melissa, as a cold call, like somebody reached out for you because to you because they have seen you and they appreciate the way you're leading, that can be a very good connection. And you may not be best friends. But you do respect each other and you can help each other and keep in mind, you know, maybe what's happening in the organization and give a referral and that kind of thing. No,
4: absolutely. I would definitely agree with that. And I would I would say I've probably benefited from, you know, some diverse ideas that have come that way because it's somebody approaching me that I might not have known. Um, So that certainly can be the case, Susan.
3: Yeah. I mean, I get people reach out and they want to meet and I'm old. I always will meet with them because I just never know who I'm going to meet or what they need and maybe I can help them. And, and then I always leave it up to them if they want to come back. And it's interesting because generally the people who come back are the ones when I met with them, I felt like there was maybe some kind of connection. So could be that they intuitively, you know, understand too. And, but yeah, no, I will always meet with somebody when they ask. Um, Even if I'm not sure what I could possibly help them with, because I just think having that open door to hear what people are thinking and answer their questions is so important. There's always got to be
1: time in the day for that. I love to hear that because I do encourage people to, if they see a leader that they respect or really appreciate to reach out because it's so often as you go up in the, the organization, there's that distance and it's almost like people are afraid to talk, talk to somebody or to waste their time. And I have found that that's really not the case. I mean, you, you two are examples of leaders who are open to talking to people and, and hearing what they have to say. So it's great. For sure. How do you optimize achieving your priorities with all of your personal and professional
3: commitments? Well, it's not an easy thing, (laughs) but one thing I am really, really firm on is there's, I just really dislike this whole concept of work-life balance because I don't see it as a balance. And so when people ask me that question, which, you know, it comes up, you know, in different forums, how do you handle work-life balance or kind of this, it's, I always say it's not about balance. It's about priorities. And what decisions you make at the time, and the priorities change from day to day, and the decisions change from day to day, because there is there are a lot of demands I mean to well since we're here talking about us, I've been in charge of maintenance and sanitation during the pandemic. It was a little busy, especially the first <laughs> six months, I'm sure you know we couldn't get normal <laughs> cleaning supplies we didn't know how to clean up after COVID. We didn't, couldn't get hand sanitizer. It was, it was a, what do they say, opportunity rich environment to go figure out how to do stuff. It was very busy, but the flip side was suddenly working from home, which you can see to them actually still working from home. Um, so making those priorities. So one day the swim meet for one of my high schoolers, which is another commonality, Melissa and I both have two high schoolers. One day the high school swim meet will be the priority and another day it will be work and, you know, taking some late calls or figuring out how to do something new in a pandemic that we haven't done before. And sometimes it's day by day or sometimes like at the beginning of a pandemic when your facilities, family's not going to get a lot of time between 6 a.m. and 6 or 7 p.m. for a few months in a row because it's super busy. But it comes and goes. And to me, it's to take advantage of the different priorities when they're there and make the decisions around that. And sometimes you have to miss something. could be a work thing and it could, or it could be a family thing. Sometimes, like Melissa said in the concert, you can figure out how to do it all. We've all taken phone calls in weird places, holed up in the car or the restroom at a hotel or wherever and done a phone call, back corner of a lobby somewhere. Uh, and we've also delegated, right? And so we just we're not going to be able to do it that day. So, you know, that's how I try and handle it. And I just don't hold myself to perfection. There's no perfection. I am I am uh, lucky that I don't have a lot of guilty complex around my kids and being a mom. So I am. I feel like I am much easier to let them be or travel or. You know, I've missed their birthday once, which they remember. And so, you know, you just have to make those choices. At the time, the priority and the decision was to miss the birthday, and I just have to live with that. And so we go on. Um, but it's 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 a challenge, and work can be very demanding. And it doesn't, um, as a matter of fact, three of us were together on the eve of the 4th of July one time when there was a crisis at Boeing. And at least two of us were at work on the 4th of July of the next morning at 6 or 7 a.m. and worked through the day trying to trying to untangle a crisis. And that just happened. But we could figure it out and work and figure out who was going to do what. And then, you know, be home by 6 p.m. or 5 p.m. on the 4th of July and still be able to do some of the family stuff. And I've just, the way, the way it goes. And, you know, I would just want to say, too, for people who aren't married or don't have kids, it it doesn't matter. You still have your own personal priorities and there's nothing better or worse about one situation. We often make time for our own personal priorities and um, sometimes work is in the way and sometimes the personal stuff's in the way and it goes back and forth.
4: I echo all of those things, Beth. And um, I think it's being intentional, you know, and communicating when you know you're going to have a time at work where it's going to be really busy, like you described with the pandemic, you know, or, or maybe when you're starting a new job and I always try to, you know, make sure I'm communicating with my family or those that, you know, I'm, you know, maybe not going to spend as time much time with that, Hey, this is what I'm going through right now. I'm going to have to spend a little more time here. I could really use your help with X, Y, Z at home, you know, so not being afraid to ask for help. But then also making sure it doesn't become the new norm, and that it has an end and it has a boundary. And you say, and you're intentional about, okay, we're we got the pandemic in hand, or I've I've come up the learning curve on the new job, or this crisis is now in hand, and I can delegate a little bit more. So making sure you know that that doesn't become the new habit, and being intentional about when you shift out of it. And then just the other thing I would add is you know, I think time management, being organized, planning, looking ahead. I mean, those are all things that really help me uh, make sure I'm, you know, at least anticipating what's coming at me and have make choices about how I'm going to spend the time versus it's all just coming at you. And, you know, you don't even have time to make plans to do the best at, at getting, you know, some of this and some of that. So I'm a, I'm a big planner and that's something that's really Helped me
1: over the years.
2: That's wonderful. Well, ladies, thank you for for being here today. And we have one final question for you. And we're going to have a little fun with this final question. Not that we haven't been having fun throughout, but this is going to be a different kind of fun. So, if you could be any cartoon character,
3: which one would it be, and why? Oh my goodness, that's a funny one. I actually. Uh, I don't really want to be a cartoon character, but if I could pick one, I would probably say I'm most similar to Donald Duck. And that's not, again, one you would think of, but here's why. I think he's misunderstood. I sometimes feel like I misunderstood. I think he's pragmatic think he's trying to do the right thing. And I think that um, he's often perceived as more serious and, you know, stern and all that than he really is. So I feel a lot of affinity to Donald Duck. And so I guess I would have to go there. Super
2: cute. (laughs) I love that answer. That's a great one. Melissa, what about you?
4: I actually talked about this one with my family at dinner last night, we couldn't come up with quite a perfect uh, answer. But I have sort of two rabbits that I would maybe identify with. And one is the energizer bunny who I, I'm not actually sure is a cartoon, but <laughs> me that um, I've been accused of being the energizer bunny before. And it sort of aligns with my value of enthusiasm and, and energy. And uh, the other one would be rabbit from Winnie the Pooh, who my um, family has uh, maybe accused me of being before and, and sort of around you know, willing to take charge and uh, make plans, although I don't think Rabbit from Winnie the Pooh is as positive I, as I like to think I am. So <laughs>
2: <laughs> Maybe a combination wow. there. <laughs> That's great. Well, and Susan and I would like to thank both of you, Beth and Melissa, for taking the time to share your personal stories and inspirational ideas with us today. We also need to do a special thank you and shout out to the people who make this podcast happen. We definitely couldn't do it without them. First is Marianne Metz, who's our media and brand manager for Women in Leadership. Lauren Penning, who's our communications and marketing leader for Seasons Leadership. And of course, Eric Wilson, our producer for the Women in Leadership podcast. Thank you to all of you. For our listeners, please tune in on Women Wednesdays for upcoming episodes where we will be talking with more leaders just like Beth and Melissa today. We'll see you next time. Everybody have a very great day. Thank you. Bye.
0: Thanks for joining us today on the Women in Leadership podcast. If you loved today's episode, we encourage you to rate and review our show on your Apple podcast app. If you're interested in learning more about professional development, visit SeasonsLeadership.com to learn about their annual leadership program. This program is designed for women to support their growth and success as professionals. It was created to help motivate female leaders and further their self-awareness to live into their potential while still making a difference. Don't forget to follow us on social media to stay up to date on the latest episodes. This is the Women in Leadership podcast, where new episodes come out on Women Wednesday.